0: In Jesus's day, you knew who the real followers of Christ were, and that was when persecution came. When it cost you something to be a follower of Christ, you would actually stand up for that something. Uh, In our day, you get to find out who the real Christians are for those who show up to the eight o'clock service on a Spring Forward Sunday. So welcome. Thank you for being here. We understand there's different persecutions at different ages, and this is one of our American ones. So I'm excited that you are here. God is doing so much, you know, around here. Uh, just to give you an idea, we have, a, a, about every other month or so, of what's called DNA. This is our opportunity for people to say, yeah, I wanna be a part of this church family. And just this last one, uh, we had almost 40 people, you know, who decided to make this their home. You can see yearbook style, you know, it's kind of how we do it, you know, on the screen. So we can just praise God, you know, for 40 new folks. Welcome. Glad that you are part of what God's doing around here. Uh, also, you know that we got a chance. Uh, we weren't looking for it, but it just happened where we adopted a church uh, and renamed it VRL Riverside up in the North Spokane area. And our next step, you know, was to hire a campus guy. Well, this last week... We hired Kelly Armstrong uh, to be our campus guy. You can see a picture of him, his wife Brandy, and their kids. Uh, He officially comes on staff on April 3rd, which means his first Sunday to preach at Riverside will be Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. Uh, here at Barker, you're going to get a chance to get to know him. We're going to bring him and his wife you know, on stage, uh, which is April 16th. Uh, and the reason I mention that is because over the next five months or so, well, God's going to be calling and challenging some of you who live in that area or who want to go be a part of a new work as we kind of relaunch this church in September. And so an opportunity to say, yeah, I want to be a part of something that makes a difference in that part of our community. So again, Awesome stuff, uh, awesome change, as David talked about. And speaking of change, as we begin today, in the words of Samuel Chand, who wrote Leadership Pain, growth is change, change is loss, loss is pain, thus growth will equal pain. So to grow, we must be willing to change, but anytime you change, you're going to lose something. When you lose something, you go through some amount of pain, but if we stay committed to growing, we're going to endure the pain, great or small, and that the changes produce. Make sense? It's okay if you don't. Welcome to our new series called The Week That Changed Everything. That Changed Everything. Uh, We're going to spend the next five weeks looking at the final week of Jesus' life. It's fascinating because in our Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record uh, Jesus' life, but more is dedicated to those last seven days of his entire life than almost anything else in our entire Bibles. So there's something significant. There's something important that God wants us to remember even a couple thousand years later that we're going to actually be able to understand and then also apply in our lives. Now, some of you who've been a part of church for a while, you are aware of these events, but what I'm gonna try to do during this series is take some of the lessons that I learned in the privilege that I got to go with my wife to Israel this past year to unfold some things that you've probably never heard before or at least never seen or encountered. And so to truly understand this final week and some of the things, especially we're gonna talk about today, we have to understand Jewish culture a little bit. We have to understand Jewish history because it makes the whole thing come alive in a whole new understanding and way. So actually, let's start with Jewish history. Let me tell you a little bit about something called the Maccabean Revolution. The Maccabean Revolution, now for Jews, their history has been filled with uh, uh, powers that have always been over them uh, through the course of time, whether it be the Egyptians or the Assyrians, the Babylonians, or in Jesus' age, the Greeks to the Romans. They have been an oppressed people who have consistently longed for the coming Messiah, who is the Christ, the anointed one of God, who promised to make all things new. Well, around 167 BC, the Greeks, who were over the Jewish people of Israel at that time, because of a guy by the name of Alexander the Great, maybe you've heard of him, uh, brought with him what's called Hellenism. Now, Hellenism is getting a conquered people to embrace the history, the culture, and yes, the worship Of that Greek understanding. Now, a rebellion started, which became known as the Maccabean Revolt, and from that time about 167 to 160 BC, and was led by, of all people, a country priest by the name of Mattathias, and his military followers became known as the Maccabees. That's who these guys are. Now, this country Jewish priest—the way it started was he was ordered to fulfill his duty to the Greek state to be the first one to sacrifice an animal to an altar for an idol, and he refused. They even think it was a pig to make it even more so, more assaulting and more you know uh, um, uh, against God's law. He refused, and when another Jewish man stepped forward to do it in his place, he killed that person. We have historical records of this revolt in what's called the book of the Maccabees. Tearing down the idol, Mattathias preached, let everyone who is zealous for the law and who stands by the covenant follow me. And the people rose up. He and his five sons rallied the Jewish people. You actually can read about their tactics in their guerrilla warfare, and then an incredible miraculous battle that took place where 7,000 of them went against 60,000 Greeks and they won. Now, one more important detail. Uh, We see that Judas Maccabee, being celebrated as he rides in and liberates Jerusalem, it says this in the book of Maccabees. On the 23rd day of the second month, in the year 171, the Jews entered the citadel with shouts of jubilation, waving of palm branches. The music of harps and the cymbals, and the lyres, and the singing of hymns, and the catacles, because a great enemy of Israel had been destroyed. He was their conquering hero. He set the Jews free from their conquerors and their oppressors. He cleansed and rededicated the temple to get the people back to worshiping God. This event, this time in history, is still today being celebrated by the Jews annually. Do you know what it's called? Hanukkah. It's where we get Hanukkah from. It's where it actually started. It's also known as the Feast of Dedication. So they enjoyed this freedom for a few decades, and then they fell once again. Instead of under Greek rule, the Romans came in and took them over a well in 63 BC, which is just about 60 years or so before Jesus' birth. So once again, they're looking for, they're praying for, they're crying out for a Messiah, a Christ, to save them. So with that as the historical true background, let's jump into our passage of the first day of the first week that changed everything. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, we find this. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, go into the village over there. He said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with this colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy, which is for for, for telling of who the Messiah or the Christ will be that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on the donkey's colt. This literally is from Zechariah in our Old Testament, the book of Zechariah verse 9, chapter 9 verse 9, which says, "Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout and triumph, O people of Israel. Look, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on the donkey's colt." Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. He is not shying away from proclaiming himself as the Messiah. He's not shying away from proclaiming himself as the Christ. And then it goes on to say, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. So they start heading to Jerusalem, starting from the Mount of Olives. Now, in our day, we have a lot of things that are spread out. Now understand, you can even go there today, the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, where Jesus is riding, is only about three quarters of a mile. So this isn't this long, multi-mile you know, procession. In fact, you can still walk the road that Jesus walked. Obviously, a little bit more modern, but there's still some things that let you know the exact path that Jesus went. In fact, I got just a short clip to show you what this looks like. Go ahead and look at the screen now. Well, here we are. We're walking on the triumphal entry. This is the road that took Jesus into Jerusalem. Yes, I'm a professional narrator. You are welcome for that. Aren't you excited? You know, I I was just so into it at the time. It was for my kids, you know, but I was like, oh, here's something I can show you guys today. Now, notice how the crowd responds. So they see Jesus coming in. Says most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and then others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. What we know from other gospels, other Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that these were actually literally palm branches. So what's the deal? What is the understanding of the garments and what's the purpose of the palm branches? See, in Jesus' day, most people only had two articles of clothing. They didn't have like a a full closet full. They only had two articles. First is the undergarment, and the other is the outer garment. The undergarment, you know, would have uh, been resembled like a long, loose-fitting T-shirt or kimono. It was made of linen, cotton, or something soft, something woolish. The outer garment, also known as the mantle or robe, it consisted of the square or oblong strips of cloth with a hole for the head. Uh, the best way I could tell you is that uh, think of a, an ancient Snuggie. You know, it's probably the best way to, to picture the outer garment. You know, it's a place to put your head and you kind of put your arms through as well. The very taking of your cloak, don't miss this, signifying something. And what it signified to Jesus and to those around them is I am with you. In other words, my loyalty, my sacrifice, my life is yours. I am here to follow you. Laying down the garments wasn't to make the colts ride easier. It was actually to say, I am with you. In fact, we have one other story in the Bible that proves this to be true. Second Kings chapter nine says, this is what the Lord says. I have appointed you to be king over Israel. Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. So they're saying, you are our king. You are the person that we will follow. I will do whatever I need to do. It's not my life. I forfeit it. I am taking my cloak. I am laying it down. I am with you. That's what they're saying. The second thing is, what about these palm branches? Now, what we know, based on Greek culture, in which they were influenced by, as well as biblical culture, is palm branches are symbols victory. They're always symbols of victory. Uh, When the Maccabean revolt was successful, as I told you, they streamed into the temple and they were waving palm branches. They actually became, its interesting, a military symbol of the Maccabean revolution demonstrated by these coins that they actually dug up and artifacts. Notice the palm branches and the palm trees. In fact, the, the Bible first shows this idea of victory in conjunction with what's called the Feast of tabernacles. As part of this celebration, the Israelites were commanded by God to construct and literally live in booths for seven days, which were made from trees, branches of palm trees, as you can see in the picture as well. Why did they do this? It was to commemorate the way that the Israelites lived after God gave them victory and brought them out of Egypt during the time that they were in the desert before they actually went into the promised land. In fact, history tells us that waving palm branches was done often to celebrate kings and conquerors. We also know that in Greek athletic competitions, which again, they were influenced by, the victors were often given a palm branch, which they would wave in celebration of victory. In fact, some of you are familiar that in ancient Greek mythology, palm leaves were the symbol of Nike, not the swoosh, but Nike, the winged goddess of victory, where Phil Knight actually got the name Nike from, but you can notice what's taking place in her hand. So to summarize, the garments and the palm branches are specific. They're they're showing victory that's illustrated through the palm branches, and the garment says that we are with you, King Jesus. So we see victory, and we are celebrating a victory of what's taking place, just like the Maccabean Revolution, that Jesus is going to free them from Roman oppression, and they're saying, we stand beside or behind you. So let's go back to our story. The crowds that went ahead of him, of Jesus, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Now the reason that's important is because they recognize in order for Jesus to be the Messiah, another prophecy says he has to come from the line of David. And so they know that Jesus comes from that line, so he's fulfilling that prophecy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, Hosanna literally means Save or save now. It means save or save now. They're shouting literal scripture to Jesus directly coming from Psalms 118 verses 25 and 26. Please, Lord, please save us. Hosanna. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So again, what do you think is on their minds? As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on this triumphal entry, like Moses and the Maccabees, they're thinking, finally, someone once again is gonna come set us free. They think he's gonna save us, we are with you as you lead us in victory over Rome. Now, it gets better, tune into this. Another important thing historically, The day that Jesus enters Jerusalem is actually called historically Lamb Selection Sunday. I love that. In the Old Testament, the families selected their lambs in the late afternoon before Passover would take place four to five days later. We read about this truth in Exodus chapter 12. Tell the whole community of Israel... That the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Why? Because a price needed to be paid for the sins in which they committed, God set up a sacrificial system that they would understand that this lamb was actually taking place, covering, pushing forward the sins that they had gone through. And so just to make sure that we didn't miss it, as we look forward, God has sent his son into Jerusalem on the same day that the Jewish people had been selecting their lambs for the past 1,500 years. Now, Jesus rode into the city, as the scriptures tell us, also late in the afternoon at the same time that this would happen. You can read about that in Mark chapter 11. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus Christ is revealed as our Passover lamb. You can read about it in Corinthians, or Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed to Revelation. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the, flo- in the throne. They, over- they were overcame by the blood of the lamb. Now, it gets even better. Jewish historians cite that the lambs during the time, at that time of year in Jerusalem, were always chosen from a nearby little town called Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Then they were actually brought into Jerusalem, and there's multiple entrances into Jerusalem through what's called the Sheep Gate, which got changed to the Stephen's Gate, and today is the Lion's Gate. At that time, only the sheep from Bethlehem that had been raised specifically for this purpose was allowed to be used for this selection. Can you guess for just a second which gate Jesus uses upon entry into Jerusalem? Yep, the Sheep Gate. Just makes me chills just thinking about it. Can you just see the picture that's coming? Yes, Jesus is coming as king to save them, not from Rome, but as the lamb of God to conquer sin and death to be victorious because they were right. They just missed it a little bit so that people could have abundant life and life eternally. So the people are pumped up. They're, they're thinking, here we go, Jesus, let's get these Romans, set us free. And the first thing that Jesus does, you can just picture this procession and you're like, okay, the military headquarters is straight down this road. Jesus, let's go. And they're marching, let's go. And then all of a sudden Jesus veers left. Jesus, you're going the wrong way. The very first thing that Jesus does upon entering Jerusalem is in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple. Jesus, not this one first, that's later. And he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Jesus, save your strength. What are you doing? You're becoming a conqueror, but you're killing our Jewish people, he's not killing them, but he's overturning tables and he's driving them out. And then he says to them, the scriptures declare my temple shall be called the house of prayer, but you have turned into a den of thieves. Can you imagine the people's confusion? Like what are you doing, Jesus? We've celebrated you, we've read the scriptures, you are the Messiah, and just like the Maccabees before you set us free. What are you doing in the temple? Now, before we go any further, um, (laughs) I need to back up because people have used that verse against me and other churches in this day and age as well. Uh, I've literally had people email uh, here at Valley of Your Life and other people like, you know what? If Jesus was here today, he would go to that coffee bar that you have in that lobby, and he would be overturning those tables. And You know that swag that's not even good looking anyway, that they would actually just burn the thing. Jesus would just, just be, how dare you? And they would show this passage. What they do what they're not understanding, there's just two important things that Jesus is actually illustrating. The first thing that he says clearly is that people are being taken advantage of. He's robbing. they're robbing them. So he says, you've turned it into a den of thieves. This In the sacrificial system, they came to Jerusalem to worship God and people were taking advantage of them because they had to purchase different animals for different kinds of sacrifice and inflation wasn't then. And so they jacked up the prices just because they could and it just ticked Jesus off because it was hindering people's worship. Well, damn! that doesn't explain the coffee in the lobby. No, it doesn't. But here's what does. Where they sold it is the issue. Not that they sold it. You see, we read that. We don't understand you know, how it takes place. It wasn't illegal, and it wasn't wrong to buy and sell. They actually had to do it so that people could worship God in the way that it was prescribed. But it always took place on the outer walls. Guess where Jesus finds them? on the inner walls, literally in the place where Gentiles were supposed to be worshiping God as well as the court of women. So if we're to contextualize it today, where Jesus would overturn tables, is if we had some guys coming down the aisle right now saying, popcorn, peanuts, what do you want right now as we listen to this sermon or worship the Lord? Don't you want this T-shirt? Yeah, 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 look how amazing this is. That, you're my friends, would be a correct understanding of Jesus overturning tables because it's hindering their worship. That's just a little side note, a little extra, just for you guys today. So Jesus is coming, coming in. He's using force to overthrow the Romans. No, the money changers. So they're a little confused. And this is where I want it to kind of hit home for us. Because the reality is, following Jesus can feel very disappointing and confusing at times, can it? Following Jesus can feel very disappointing and confusing. I don't know if you've ever found yourself excited by Jesus in one setting and at the very least confused, but if you're to be honest, you're a little disappointed by Jesus in the other. See, our disappointment is usually because of our inaccurate understanding of who God really is. Now, you might think or believe, well, following Jesus, I've been told, tells me that God's going to bless me and he's going to bless me financially. He's gonna take away my sickness. He's gonna prevent people I love from pain, suffering, or death. And he's gonna give me a comfortable life. And the only reason that doesn't happen isn't because God isn't holding up to his bargain. It's probably because I've made a mistake or I've sinned. But that's an inaccurate understanding of God. And you can sit back in seasons like that and you wonder when you're going through something, God, where are you? What's going on? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Just like they're going, Jesus, what the heck are you doing? I don't understand what's happening. This is because who we want God to be is different at times than who he really is. Our disappointment happens when what we expect God to be or do, doesn't happen in the way or the timing in which you and I think it should happen. Uh, We like to read passages in our New Testament that say, you know, um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but I don't like the passage that says, forgive those who hurt me. No, no, I wanna focus on these passages, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, not the ones that says, turn the other cheek, love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. No, 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 I don't want that Jesus. I want this other Jesus that says, for me and my household will serve the Lord as long as I feel like you are leading, blessing, and guiding my life. But when I suffer some persecution or some hardship, God, where are you? What in the world is going on? You see, the question that we honestly have to wrestle with, that I have to wrestle with, is are we loyal to who Jesus is or only to the Jesus we want him to be? Are we loyal to who Jesus is or only to the Jesus we want him to be? See, sometimes they've said this, God created mankind in his own image and we return the favor, All right? We're like, well, this is the God that we want to serve. This is the God who I believe is there in my life because you're gonna have moments, days, weeks, months, even years that we're gonna go through some things. So how do we respond? How do you and I respond when we literally are facing some disappointment, when we're literally facing some loss, some hardship, and we're wondering, God, why? Well, You're here a few weeks ago, you understand it gives us an opportunity to do what's called lament. And to lament focuses back in on God, but brings our realness. We don't ignore the disappointment, we don't ignore the pain, we don't ignore the loss, we actually bring it before him. Which to lament, which is one-third of our psalms, is again to talk to God, to bring it to him, to present what you're thinking and feeling. God, I'm disappointed, this hurts, I don't understand, why aren't you doing these things? Read the Psalms and you'll see this over and over and over. The third thing is to ask him then for help. Help me in this situation, help me in my sickness, help me in my job loss, help me in my resource. God, help me to see what you're doing, help me understand. And then it's always to finish with a choice to trust him. To say, God, I don't get it, it's not happening right now, but I'm gonna still say the words over and over I choose to trust you because, and you fill in the blank. We walk through that lament together. See, you understand, Jesus doesn't want to come into part of our lives. He actually wants to take over. Uh, Sometimes uh, we receive faith and we're like, oh, good, I go to church. And then I'm a Christian, but then I take my Christian hat off. And then I put on my other hats and go through my day until it's time to put my Christian hat on. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to be a Christian who happens to be a husband. A Christian who happens to be a businessman or woman. A Christian who happens to, you fill in the blank. I am a Christian in and through it all. You see, change is hard, like we talked about. If you want to follow Jesus, we're asked to live like Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 16, to his disciples... That disciple literally means learner. If anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. That doesn't sound very comfortable to me, does it to you? When you understand what the cross is and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, Jesus was constantly trying to get his disciples to understand a kingdom mindset and not just a worldly mindset. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Like, let me just give you one example that Jesus was trying to change in their life, and maybe you've done this as well. Have you ever uh, thought or prayed in your, mind, in your own mind a prayer like this? God, what is, what is your will for my life? What is your will? Now, that sounds immediately like a great prayer, but we're missing something. God, what is your will for my life? If you change it, you understand the heart and mind of Jesus. Here's how the, how's the, how the prayer should be changed. God, what is your will and help me align my life? See the difference? God, what is your will for my life versus what is your will and help me align my life to it? Because uh, many of us, we are Americans. So we have thoughts, we have dreams, we have ideas, and we put them together and we're like, God, bless them. God, I've got this all planned out. I just need you to bless it. Yeah, I, I don't, you probably got more important things to deal with. So I, I know that I want to get married. I know this, I want to have 2.5 kids, which makes no sense. I want to have, you know, this much money. I got to retire by this age. And none of those things are wrong in and of itself. But then we go to God and say, God, bless my plans. And God's like, hey, how about you start with what is my will and then align your life to that? Because I do have plans, but they might be different than the plans that you think you have for yourself. But do you trust me that my plans actually might be greater? Not easier, but they actually might be greater. See, what are you currently in need of saving or being cleansed of? They shouted, Hosanna, save us. Not realizing they didn't need saving from the Romans. They need saving for their soul. They need saving for their life. And so we do the same thing. God, help me here. And so as we start this journey, you know, in this final week that changed everything, is there an area of our life that we need cleaned out? An area of our life, just like the temple. Do you understand that your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit? He went into the temple and he started overturning tables because he wants them to clean. He wants to save. He wants to bring you into a right relationship with him. And as we start this season, as we lead up to Easter, is there something you can go without from now through Easter? See, historically for generations, they have this thing called Lent. You know, very traditional, very a time to, to get rid of something for the purpose, in fact, to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus. So maybe there's something that you can also say, yeah, there's a part of my life in here that I want to be cleansed of. I'm going to actually go without whatever it may be from now till Easter so that my heart can focus on the true king and his kingdom. We want Jesus to come into our lives, but Jesus wants to take over our lives, and that's a big difference. So what is your next step in understanding and following who Jesus really is? Like this is a great introduction to the series as we unfold some of the things that Jesus tells about himself, and every week, we're going to look like we did today on some historical and Jewish understanding so that we might be able to unfold maybe at a different level for those some of us who've been Christians for a while and say, wow, I never knew that before, but may the knowledge bring about a transformation in our heart and mind to align with who he really is. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. And we pray right now for anything in our hearts that don't align with you. Father, you are King Jesus. And we celebrate that fact. Lord, as we celebrate the triumphal entry, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, knowing these garments, Father, in our own hearts and minds, we lay them before you. They're yours. Our life is yours. And we do claim victory for what you want to do in our lives, what you have done. And what you will do. Allow us, Father, just to be able to have our hearts be examined by you, who is the true King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in his name we pray. Amen.